Welcome back, everyone, to the Story Matters podcast. Now, if you are a little confused today by the title of this show, don't be. Hades Town is a Broadway musical, and it has not been turned into a book. But I'm still going to talk about it because this is not a book review podcast. This is a story podcast where the focus is on storytelling and stories can take any shape or form. We can get good storytelling from movies, from TV shows, from comics, from books, from video games, and even from Broadway musicals. What I care most about is the quality of the storytelling and how really great storytelling has the power to move us emotionally. So if I see something or read something and I feel that I've been moved emotionally, that's where the magic is for me. It's incredible how something that comes out of somebody's imagination has such a such a powerful impact on your life and on how you see things and on how you you experience things. Now, I have to be totally honest, I did not plan at all on doing something like this. This is just a spur of the moment thing. Basically what happened is I went to New York City because my daughter, uh, my, my two daughters were going to be in the Macy's Day Parade because they are in the Tarpon Springs Marching Band. And the Tarpon Sp- Springs Marching Band, if you didn't know, is one of the best bands in America. And we were invited, the school's band was invited to march in the Macy's Day Parade for Thanksgiving. So all the family members of the band players, we all went up to New York and the school arranged for us to get tickets to see different shows. And I don't really have anything against musicals or Broadway shows, but I typically don't go to them very often just because I've had a lot of really bad experiences. I either get some really, really bad seats where I just can't see very well. I can't see the actors and I can't see what's going on on the stage. Or another instance, I went to see the Book of Mormon where we had really good seats But this lady behind us was drunk. She was sitting right behind me and she would not stop talking. She just just kept blabbing on and on and on in this crazy drunken stupor. And I just could not pay attention to what was going on in the show. And I was so angry. And I kept waiting for an usher to escort this woman out of the building or for someone else to complain. But nobody did. And I don't want to stop and get into a fight with this woman because I was afraid that I would miss too much of the show. So I kept waiting for her to stop or get kicked out, but she never did. And so even though for that show, I had really good seats, I still had a bad experience. And I'm thinking that if this was a movie, I could always just go and just see it at a different time. But this show was, it was a one night only thing. And I probably wasn't going to be able to, to get a full refund and and come back a a different day. So I really just kind of gave up on, on seeing these shows and really just due to the fact that it's just so hard to get good tickets and so hard to get good seats. And even if you pay a lot of money for seats, you still don't really know how well you're going to be able to see. A lot of times it's just a matter of 
the size and the shape of the theater. But the theater we went to in New York was perfect. Like, I don't think there was a bad seat in the house, except for the seats I got. I actually got some pretty bad seats. Um, it was at the very, very, very top floor. Like, my head was almost touching the ceiling. And there was a woman, a very tall woman, that kept leaning forward to see the show, and she was blocking my view. So I was a little upset about that, but I still had a pretty good view. And the show was just incredible. It was just an amazing, amazing show. And I didn't know what to expect. And it, it was probably one of the most moving experiences in my life. And I just thought to myself, I have a podcast devoted to storytelling. And here I have one of the best storytelling experiences I've ever had. And yet I'm not going to talk about it because it's a Broadway musical. That's ridiculous. I mean, I have read so many books lately that have left me completely cold, but this thing, it just blows me away. I have to say, I've only felt this way a few times, and I will admit, some of these experiences are a little embarrassing, and I can't really explain them other than to say it was perhaps my mental state at the time that I watched them. So the first one was The Little Mermaid, believe it or not. When I was 14 years old, I went to see The Little Mermaid. And this is at a time when Disney movies, this is 1989. And in 1989, seeing a Disney movie was not a mainstream thing to do. This was something that only little girls really went to see Disney movies. Teenage boys did not go see Disney movies. And I remember going to the theater with my sister and I didn't tell anybody that I saw this movie. I kind of kept it a secret. So my friends were like, what did you see the other night? And I was like, nothing. I didn't see anything. I, I lied about it because I was embarrassed. But I loved that movie. I, I fell in love with The Little Mermaid. I had a, a little bit of an obsession over it for for a couple years. It's, I just was thinking about it all the time. It really introduced me to the world of, of animation. It, it made me appreciate uh, Disney animation in a way that I'd never really done before. And for a few years, I really just followed Disney religiously until... I think around the time that they made Tarzan, I started losing interest because I felt that a lot of that magic was gone. It wasn't just me because that movie really did usher in the modern age, the modern renaissance of classical animation. Without it, we probably wouldn't have Pixar or any of the other movies that you know, we celebrate. The other movie, and again, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit to this, the other movie that really, really moved me was uh, Titanic. And I remember at the time, Titanic was a movie, I think, that was a victim of its own success. It was so popular and so many people loved it that there was like just this backlash where all of a sudden people started saying Titanic sucks, Titanic is a terrible movie. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. How could a movie that is so celebrated and has won so many Academy Awards and has made so much money, I think it was the first movie in history to make a billion dollars around the world, be a bad movie? One of my best friends, he hated it. He was like, oh, Titanic sucks. And I'm like, why? Like, how can you think that? 
clearly there was something about that movie that really resonated with people. And James Cameron, as we know, is one of the great directors of our time. All of his movies are fantastic. Aliens and Terminator and Avatar. I mean, these are all some of the greatest movies ever made. And I also remember people were wearing like t-shirts that were kind of making fun of the movie. And I remember this one shirt that basically said, the boat sank, get over it. Which to me completely misses the point that what makes Titanic a great movie has nothing to do with how tragic that story was. I mean, there are way more tragic things that have happened in history. You know, there's tsunamis and plagues, and you could probably make a hundred other movies about more tragic events. It's not the tragedy of, of the Titanic sinking has nothing to do with why it was a good movie. It was a good movie because it was such a well-told story, you know, with with the music and the cinematography and and the way that James Cameron directed it. That's what made it a good movie. It didn't have to be about Titanic. Titanic was just the setting for the story, but it really could have been about anything, really. So it's really been a while since I felt this strongly about anything. And I will admit that, you know, as you get older, your heart tends to to toughen up a little bit. You start to get some calluses over your, your soul. And you don't find storytelling quite as, as moving as you did when you're younger. And, and sometimes I fear that I'll get to a point where I won't be able to feel anything. So whenever a story comes along that does make me feel something very powerful... I'm always very thrilled. The way I felt about The Little Mermaid and the Titanic is pretty much the way I feel about Town. This is a show that left me powerfully impacted. And I can say that I did tear up a couple times. And I've been listening to the music on repeat on Spotify, in my car, on my computer while I'm working, just, I, I probably listened to the whole show like five times now. And all I can say is if you if you haven't seen the show, you need to go see it. It's worth whatever price you pay for the tickets. And it's, I will admit it's very tragic though. And, but the tragedy kind of caught me off guard because I didn't quite know how it was going to end. I, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe it's not going to have a, a sad ending. They tell you in the beginning this has a tragic ending, but by the time you get to the end, you forget what they told you in the beginning. And so when you get to the final act, you're like, oh crap. Like, yeah, they did say this was going to end badly, but you're not prepared for it because they build up so much hope in you. And then they just knock that hope down. It almost undercuts the story. It almost makes you feel like, wow, like this is just a, a bad ending, right? This is just a nihilistic ending. But the way that everything else is just so beautifully presented, it, it makes it more than worth watching and experiencing. Okay, so what exactly is Hades Town? Hades Town is a Broadway musical, and the music and lyrics are written by Anais Mitchell. And it is developed with and directed by Rachel Chavkin. 
And the story is based on a Greek myth. It's the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice. And if you're familiar with the myth, you kind of know how the story turns out. But even though it's faithful to the original, it's modernized in a lot of meaningful ways that gives the story a lot more depth and a lot more relevance to modern times. And the music is also very modernized. It's very similar to Disney's Hercules. If you've ever seen Disney's Hercules, even though it is a wildly inaccurate story from a Greek mythological perspective, I feel that they capture in many ways the spirit of the heroic tradition. Uh, It's a mixture of jazz and blues and soul in the same way that the kind of modernized Hamilton. And I really wish that I could just play just a few seconds of the music for you in this podcast. But unfortunately, I'm not allowed to do that. I actually looked it up. But, you know, uh, they can't stop me from urging you guys to go and you can play the music in the background while listening to me talking about the show. Now, I will say one thing. Different mediums have different advantages. And I know that for a lot of people who love stories, they simply don't like to read. It's just a medium they're just not interested in. And it may be because they find reading difficult or maybe they have aphasia and they have a difficulty imagining things. I know that most of my family members simply don't read and they love movies and they love TV shows. They'll love Game of Thrones, watching it on TV, but they will never even think about picking up the book and reading it. So I think every medium has its advantage. And something like Hades Town really could only be a musical, right? Like if this was turned into a book or a show, it just wouldn't work. This show really does what musicals do best. And I think sometimes people might think that I wish that my books were movies or shows. And of course, I would love if somebody made like an Ages of Anya movie, but that doesn't mean that I wish that I was a movie director or a TV show producer. I I don't because I feel like there are a lot of limitations in each medium and I prefer the limitations that exist in books. For someone who really appreciates storytelling itself, I feel that I have the most liberties in a book. I can do more with story in a book than I can do with a, a film or, or TV. That being said, there is one thing that I am jealous of. and There's one thing that I feel that I really can't reproduce in a book. And it's not the visuals, it's the music. There's something really magical that happens with a powerful piece of music. There's just no way to to recreate the feelings you get from music in a book. So the only time I'm really jealous of a movie or a show is when I'm listening to the music and I'm like, wow, like I wish that I could evoke the same sentiment with, with words. Basically, it's different tools that different artists use to achieve 
the same impact. Okay, so I am here with Jasmine Alamodos. So, Jasmine, you are in the Tarpon Springs High School Band? Yes. Great. So you went to New York City as part of the band because Tarpon is one of the best uh, bands in the country, something I'm very proud of. You want to tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, well, we went to Indiana for grand nationals which was really fun and exciting and what do you what instrument do you play i play the clarinet and then you're also in the macy's uh thanksgiving day parade right yes that's cool yeah so grand nationals we won fifth place which was really really cool yeah yeah i was i was very proud of that although i really feel like you guys should have won uh at least gotten third place but we won't get into the uh politics of that uh let's get to the point uh, we're here to talk about a show that we were both very uh, moved by. And then I remember uh, you telling me last night that you've also been listening to it in the car. And I thought, wow, like, okay, maybe we should talk about it. So what do you think of Hadestown? It was really good. And I had a lot of fun watching it with my band. And everyone in band was like, Wow, that was really amazing. Yeah. yeah. It was a really good experience. Yeah, but you're new to the Broadway, right? Was that your first yeah, Broadway I, show? Uh, no, that was my second. Oh, okay. Well, what was that, it? I watched Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera, which you also really liked, right? Yeah. Phantom of the Opera. I think Hades sounds better. <laughs> yeah, I remember you telling me that you, you liked Phantom of the Opera at first, but I don't know, maybe I influenced you a little bit because I was just telling you how much I liked Hadestown. So what, what did you like about Hadestown the most? Well, I could see better in Hadestown, <laughs> so that helped. That's true. Um. That's yeah. That's what I was saying. Like a lot of these shows, it's like, yeah, Broadway is great. If you can see, it's great. It's a different experience depending on where you're sitting. And even the acoustics is different depending yeah. on where you're sitting. So. I really like the actors, actually. I thought they all did, like, really good and singing. It was, it just, it's really cool to, like, see, like, a Broadway show and not, like, a movie and see people act. Yeah. So that's, like, something different that I was, like, oh, that's really cool. And the trombone player, which is really, really good. And we got to meet him. Yeah, it was really cool to meet Brian Dry. That was the trombone player who uh, was the trombonist for the Hadestown we watched in New York. Um, but we also got to see um, Emily Fredrickson, who is also the trombonist. She plays the same part um, in Hadestown, the tour, the touring group. And she's actually in Tampa now, so um, performing... And she came to our band like two days ago. No, yesterday. And she talked to us. She came to Tarpon Springs High School. Yeah, she came to Tarpon Springs High School. She's an alumnus, actually, which is really cool. So she's actually was in your band. Yeah, she was in our and band. And she's in the show, which is awesome. And she's that's in the that's show. amazing. Yeah. And it's really cool. And it's um, like meeting your heroes. <laughs> yeah. But what's funny is she said that like Back then, Tarpon didn't have a, you know, that much of a big 
reputation as it does now because I guess now we just improved the band got bigger and now we're like fifth in the country so that's like really cool <laughs> um but despite that she still ended up on Broadway so that, yeah, that's saying despite a lot that she still ended up on Broadway and she just talked a lot about like the audition process for Hades Town and like a lot of that stuff like how band helped her get there which is really cool the two things that impressed me the most about the show was the trombonist i thought he was incredible yeah and then the second part was the guy who plays hades because he has a very very deep voice and that's something that i don't know maybe it impresses me more because i wish i had a deeper voice but he sings with this like super baritone voice and it's so like eerie and evocative and he's like this excellent villain you know it makes you think of like you know darth vader and for him to be able to sing like that was just it was so incredible and it, it gave his character such weight and power yeah i love how like how the musicians like also get to act and like create their own character because throughout the show like you'll see the trombone player like stand up and like dance a little bit and i even heard that like they take little pieces of the music and they kind of improvise like little solos that oh i didn't uh, know that remind that's... them of like different characters in the show oh that's interesting so they kind yeah. of like make up their own themes for them and yeah they'll like get asked the actor of like orpheus can be like hey like can you do that solo that you did when we were practicing or something like i like how it resonates with my character and stuff I think we might have to get into spoiler territory here because I want to talk openly a little bit about the story itself. So if you really want to see the show and you don't want it, anything spoiled for you, I would just stop listening now. I think what really impressed me is that you have this very old classic kind of romantic story, this romantic myth that would be difficult, I think, for people to relate to nowadays. And what they do is they weave in so many modern sentiments that really bring these old myths to life, but it does it in, in a way where it doesn't like abandon the old myth. It doesn't say, okay, these old stories are outdated. It's still the same story, but it brings up modern concerns. For example, Orpheus is this romantic kind of Romeo and Juliet you know, type character. He wears his heart on his sleeve and he sees Eurydice and it's love at first sight. They fall in love, they're together, but now they have to deal with the hardships of life and he doesn't have a job, he doesn't have any money, and she's starving and she's thinking, okay, how can I stay with a guy who can't provide for me materially? And so these are things that you're probably not going to see in Greek mythology. You're going to see it in like a modern play. But of course, these are universal human concerns. And so when you have the song about, okay, sure, he's a poet, but what's he going to do? He, he's going to write you a song when you're hungry. That's not going to help. And so she makes this very difficult decision at a point when she's really struggling in her life 
she makes a, a difficult decision to leave him and to kind of go off with a, a wealthier man who is Hades. And, you know, Hades doesn't have the ability to love, but he has all these riches and all this money. And he says, I can provide for you. you know, the guy who loves you can't. And it's one of those things that makes you say, whoa, like this is a very modern idea. Did you kind of pick up on that? Yeah, I did. Like, I think it's like important for like us, especially like young high schoolers, like watching the show, it just helps us like relate to the characters more. Because I feel like if it was just like, a Greek play, then it would be like, oh, that's a cool plot, but like I can't really relate to any of the characters as much. Which yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why I thought it worked for me so well. But it does it in a way where it doesn't abandon the romantic ideology. The tagline of the show is come see the way the world could be. And that is literally and this is really my my soapbox so i'm gonna get on my soapbox now because i'm a romantic writer i come from the romantic tradition which was started by don quixote back in the 1600s this is a very very old tradition of writing and some people don't recognize that this is something i talk about a lot on this podcast i talk about the clash between like realist fiction and romantic fiction and a lot of people don't see the difference, like Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings, and they think it's the same because both have dragons and both have you know monsters in it and magic, but they're diametrically opposite in terms of style. Lord of the Rings is a romantic story, and Game of Thrones is a realist story, which is why I prefer Lord of the Rings. But a lot of people will say, I don't like romanticism because that has nothing to do with real life. And I reject that idea because it's not about, oh, the world is all sunshine and rainbows. It's about trying to make the world the way you feel it, it should be. And that's something that they bring up over and over again. Orpheus is this character who's this romantic idealist, and he's getting this pushback from Hades and all these other characters who are basically telling him, that's not the way the world is. You need to live in the real world, but he's an idealist and he believes that with the power of his music and his singing, that he can bring about the world the way that everyone wishes it could be. And that is romanticism. So this is a deeply romantic story. I mean, I love romantic stories too. Like, especially, okay, like I watch a lot of anime. Yes, we need to have, <laughs> a, we need to have an anime uh episode yeah. with you because i know you'll have a lot to say about that yeah well there's like there's a lot of like realistic <laughs> like animes out there i haven't seen many of them but of the ones i watch i just i love seeing stories that like are are different from life because I, I don't know i get bored of life like but when we're talking about the literary sense like game of thrones is not like stuff you would see in the real world but it is i i will consider it a realist serious. yeah it's it's serious i guess is one way to put it it's basically it doesn't idealize anything yeah you know it says yeah love is nice and all but when you're hungry love doesn't mean anything no like, there's like a lot of that in anime like i was gonna i was getting to this i like like watching these because they just like they make you feel good because they're a lot of them are like Oh, like you can do anything with 
the power of friendship or there's always that one yeah that's a good idea the power of friendship the power of belief the power of hope you know there's always like the the main character who like is like oh my god like some dramatic thing happens and they're like oh but i have my friend by my side right exactly just like rooting for them and it's just it's just so like nice to see yes and that is that is the romantic tradition yeah and this is why for example the Lord of the Rings is, is a romantic story, not because of the magic in it, but because Sam's faith in Frodo is what allows him to defeat evil. It's how emotions overcome the hardships of, of real life. And so Hades Town is a, is a perfect example of this. And I think this is why I love the story so much and why it spoke to me directly, because it is about a character, Orpheus, who is an idealist and how he actually achieves a lot of amazing things with the power of the belief that he has in his own art, which is music. And one thing that, you know, and again, this is heavy spoiler territory, just to get into a little bit of a spoiler territory here. So when I first saw the show, I thought, okay, this is just a complete tragedy because the whole story revolves around her leaving him. Eurydice leaves him because she's starving. And they talk about how the fates intervened. And the fates is just such a, a great metaphor for just random things that can happen to you, right? Just some random awful thing happens. Like you you love someone, but they get into a car accident and die. And you're like, oh, that's horrible. And, and like one of the fates, like during the play, they just like... Yeah, like symbolic of her like starving and like being cold and stuff. And they just like took her jacket off. Yeah. Yeah. The fate was literally ripping the jacket off of her. And she's like, I'm cold. I need this. And the fate's like, no, 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 I'm taking it. And again, whether the fates are real or not, they're such great metaphors for shit happens in life. Unexpected, terrible things happen to us. That's the realist aspect of it. But I think it's how we deal with those tragedies is what makes a story either romantic or realist. You can kind of accept fate and you can say, there's nothing I can do about it. Or you can say, no, actually, I can continue to have hope and believe in a better future. And that's what Orpheus does. So she decides to give up and go into the underworld, follows Hades into the underworld, and then... Orpheus pursues her, even though they say there's no way you can get her back, but he doesn't care because again, he's a romantic and he believes he's going to find a way. So he goes down into the underworld and he finds her and he tries to get her out. And the part that, that I understood is he sings a song for Hades and he kind of melts Hades heart a little bit. And he is allowed to take Eurydice with him, but Hades gives him a test and says, you can try to lead her out of the underworld, but if you turn back and look at her at any moment, then she's going to go back to the underworld forever. And again, the awesome way that they modernized this is that they were basically saying how it's easy to be a hero if you have your friend next to your side, right? If, If you have your lover and you're holding their hand, they can give you courage and they can give you strength. But if you don't have that person next to you, you lose faith. And 
this was just something that I said, wow, like I never really thought of it that way. Going alone. And then as he's going, there's all these doubts in his mind that creep in. And I'm thinking to myself, all these doubts and fears and anxieties, this is psychology, the way the human mind is tormented by self-doubt, which is something that, again, really resonates with modern audiences. This isn't something that the ancient Greeks would have fully, I think, understood. And they interpret it in such a way that it just worked so well, because that's something that we've all experienced, right? I know, Jasmine, you've- Yeah, you've, lots of doubt. Right? You've been sort of crippled by self-doubt. Like, I can definitely relate to that. Going back to, like, what we were talking about, like, yeah, it's a more modern version of the story. So we're obviously going to relate to that more. And I know I, I always doubt myself before I take a test or before I, like, go on to compete in Indiana for marching. Or when you're in a relationship and you're always thinking about does my wife still love me? Does she have the same feelings for me? Is she leading me on? Is she going to break up with me? All these doubts and fears that people have were just really work so well. Again, this is this perfect metaphor that could be applied to real life of Orpheus going through the darkness. And he just has to trust. He just has to believe that Eurydice is with him and she hasn't turned away. She hasn't left him. That was the part where I teared up, where he was just being tormented by self-doubt, because I think that's something that we've all felt. What a beautiful way to use mythology to express such a, a universal human experience. And I think what was utterly devastating is when he actually fails the test. That's the thing I just, I couldn't believe is that at the last moment, he turns around right before he gets to the end. He turns around and he sees her and she's like, I've been here the whole time, right? I'm, I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. And again, this is something, I don't know if you really thought about this, but this is why a lot of relationships fall apart. This is why a lot of people break up because the couples are afraid that their, that their spouse or their girlfriend or their, or their boyfriend doesn't love them anymore, or maybe they're cheating on them, or maybe they're, they're being unfaithful in some way, or maybe they're not thinking about them. And, and those doubts creep into their hearts and kind of poison that relationship. You know, when you doubt your relationship, when you don't have trust in that relationship, it tears it apart. And that's literally what happens here. It's like he loses her because he has that moment of doubt. He turns around and he sees her and she's like, I've been here the whole time. And then you see like this literal pit opens up because the stage has like this pit that drops down and she literally drops down into the underworld. And it's like, oh my God, it's so, oh my God, it was, it was dead. And all the lights turn on, like it's just all like bright white lights. Yeah. How did you feel in that moment? Were you in shock? I was really, yeah, I was surprised. And I was like. I was in shock. I was like, yeah, one job. But he, yeah. Yeah, you made a joke out of it. Yeah, one job. <laughs> no, he really did. And I got, I, I was like upset with him. 
I was upset with him too. Why would you do that? But and then I was upset with myself because I'm like, God damn it! They told us in the beginning of the show that this is a tragedy. Like they they have a whole song about this is a tragedy. It's a sad song, and and they even say maybe this time it'll turn out okay. And so you watch it and you're like, oh my god! Like how could they end it like this? It's like it's so awful. I mean, for them to tell you that this is going to have a bad ending and you're still shocked by the ending. Like that's a testament to like incredible writing. And and I thought, well, God, like, I guess this whole story is pointless. But then when I listened to the music a couple more times, I realized it wasn't pointless because a subplot to the romantic story between Orpheus and Eurydice is that nature is out of whack. There's supposed to be four seasons, but there's only two, summer and winter. And the reason for that is because the seasons are based on the love between Hades and Persephone, okay? Now, in the Greek myth, Hades kidnapped Persephone. They didn't really have a loving relationship. And here's where they kind of changed the story for the better, because in this story, Hades genuinely did love Persephone, but over the centuries or ever how long, I guess their relationship had kind of frayed and their feelings, you know, they weren't connecting anymore. And because of it, the weather was bad, which is the reason why... Everybody was starving. And the reason why Eurydice was cold and hungry and ended up leaving Orpheus to go into the underworld is because the winter was so bad. That's why Orpheus needed the song. That's why Orpheus, he said, I'm working on a song that's going to fix the seasons. And so when he goes into the underworld, he sings the song to Hades to allow him to leave with Eurydice. But at the same time, he kind of reminds Hades because of his love for Eurydice, he reminds Hades of Hades' love for Persephone. And so then Hades and Persephone just start to dance, and there's a, a little song about their love. And so now the seasons get back together, and the seasons are fixed because of Orpheus. And so maybe their relationship didn't turn out, but the gods' relationships turned out, and so the seasons were fixed. So in a way, it does have kind of a happy ending. and It's just when you really go back and you think about the story more and you and you listen to the songs again, it's like, oh man, this is just, this is a fantastic story. And I love it. And you know a story is great when the more you think about it, the better it is. Because a lot of times like, I'll, I'll read a, a story or I'll watch a movie that it'll seem good at first. But then when I think about it, I'm like, oh my God, it's just, it gets dumber the more I think about it. Like Star Wars Episode Nine, right? Like the more I think about that movie, the worse it, it gets for me. <laughs> But this is the opposite. Like the more I think about it, the more I realize how much the lyricists and, and the and the storytellers really thought about the story and really just made it work. And also the musicians. And the musicians and everyone involved in the production was just phenomenal. I just, I can't say enough good things about it. I mean, the music, like, I know we haven't really talked much about music, but... The music helps the story go along, you know? It helps put that emotion, you know, like along with the acting. Because, I mean, it's acting and music, but it's like, in a way, the music is also acting itself, you know? like Yeah, they're the acting and singing at the same time, which is, yeah. which is incredible. That's hard to do because if all the songs aren't good they can kind of get on your nerves, you know? Like I know a lot of times like people say, I don't really like musicals or they say, oh, musicals aren't popular anymore. I don't think that 
people ever really get tired of musicals. I think people don't like bad musicals. Yeah. That's what happens when a bunch of bad musicals come out, people start to dislike the medium. They're like, oh, I don't like musicals. No, you just don't like those musicals. But once someone makes a really good musical, then you're like, oh, wait a minute. Musicals are great. You just got to hear a good one. No one's going to watch Town and think, I don't like musicals anymore. That's not going to happen. But you're right. I mean, I wish I could talk more about the music and I don't really know enough about music to to really get deep into it. And I'm sure that you could probably have a, a big discussion about just the music. And, and I wish I could, but all I can do is talk about what I know about, which is storytelling. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, and that's why well, that's you're here. a big part of the. So, as I someone mean, who who studies music, I mean, you you approve, right? You, I, of course, I approve. Yeah. And I don't know. I just. Like when, when you hear like the inside or the insiders from like getting to talk to like both trombone players from the show, it just, you hear a lot about like the music and they always like talk about how, how music is connecting to the characters. And like I said before with the, like they each have their themes and each of the musicians are kind of like acting too, which I think is really neat you know and i don't know i mean like getting into like the deeper music stuff like i feel like all i like a lot that i know about it is more like like i know a lot of the technical stuff which isn't like as fun to talk about but i don't know it's just fun like it's it's fun to listen to it's fun to like you can like get up and dance to like probably any of the songs like it's yeah, know. it's just really fun. Yeah, if you can tell a story and at the same time have a just a good song, um, to just that's fun to listen to. Yeah, that's something. So, any closing thoughts? I enjoyed it a lot. It's a really, really good, really amazing show. Highly recommend. Yes, I recommend <laughs> it too. Just get good seats. You might have to pay, you know, two hundred dollars for those <laughs> seats. But I think it might be worth it. If you, you want know? to see any Broadway show, I would definitely say see this one. Yes. And and maybe go see it in New York because they yeah. have like the right size shaped theaters because also some the theaters sets. are just, they're too big. Yeah. And the sets are, are great because too. Because I heard that that whole is not in the uh Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Are you serious? It's not. Oh, then it's so, don't even watch it. Go to like, New York. Yeah, that is such a <laughs> that is such a big part of the show. I the think, stage rotates, and there's a pit that sinks down. And yeah. when they go down into the underworld, like literally, the stage descends down. You need that stuff. You yeah. can't have a. <laughs> you can't pay two hundred dollars without they, that. Like I That's don't know terrible. how they did it because Emily Fredrickson, she was like talking to us about how they, like they don't have the underworld, so they have to like, they have some bar or something that they like. Hide in or something. I don't know. That's works, not, but, nah, that's but not. But it the doesn't same. seem as fun. That's so, yeah, not go to New York. No, you go to New York. Money. Go to New York and Get just and pay $200 and watch the show. You won't regret it. So, yeah, I think that's it for us, Jasmine. And uh, maybe we'll see you next time when we talk about your favorite form of storytelling. <laughs> Anime. Oh, I could talk about that all day. <laughs> yes, we'll talk about anime next time. Thanks for sitting uh, and talking to me today, Jasmine. You're welcome. Bye.
Okay, folks, so that's it for today's episode of Story Matters. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast, and I definitely hope you go check out Hades Town. You can get the music from Spotify, or you can go on YouTube and listen to the songs from the show. And if you are interested in deep storytelling that is moving and powerful and emotional storytelling that will make you think and feel, then I highly recommend you check out the latest book in my annual series, The Feral Girl, which has just been released on Amazon Kindle. The Amazon Kindle version of The Feral Girl is called The Feral Girl Gamer Edition, And what's cool about that is that there are over 30 illustrations from various artists around the world showcasing parts of the story, scenes from the story, characters from the story. And at the very end of the book, there is a little bonus section, which is called Surviving the Wildwood. And Surviving the Wildwood is a role-playing adventure game, which is compatible with the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons rule set where you can play as Thalana or you can create your own Ilmarin character where in the game you actually have to go through the Wildwood Forest, forage for resources, and you have to look for food and water, and you have to avoid getting eaten by dinosaurs like the tyrant, like Thalana does in the book. And it has rules for making your own Ilmarin character. It has rules for playing in the Wildwood Forest. It has a little map with grid lines on it. And it has 13 new monsters, which are unique to the Wildwood of Enya. So, but even if you have no interest or knowledge of Dungeons and Dragons, you can still just enjoy reading the story on your Kindle. It's something that I think has universal appeal really to anyone who cares about story and survival situations and loneliness and really overcoming tremendous odds. It's it's a story of hope. It's a story about perseverance and faith and the limits of the human heart. You can get that directly from my website, which is nickalamonos.com, or you can go to anya.net. It'll take you to the same website. But if you don't want to go to my website, you can get the paperback and the Kindle edition from Amazon. So I've been Nick. Thanks for listening.